Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Jason Fortier, assistant coach with the University of Maine. With a long career in the game, Jason has taken on multiple roles working as a head coach, assistant coach, and general manager positions, ranging from the AAA loop all the way to his current position at the University of Maine. With a key eye for evaluating, Jason shows just how important it is to understand different areas of hockey operations and applies it daily, which you will learn about today. With that, here's Jason Fortier, assistant coach with the University of Maine. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Jason Fortier, assistant coach with the University of Maine. Jason, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great to have you on and learn more about your experiences. Uh, you know, kind of going through your resume and following along with you for for a while here. There's there's a lot of positions, and I think what's really interesting is just kind of the progression through the levels. You know, a lot of times uh, guests maybe have a a hard time comprehending how people. Uh, kind of skip some levels along the way and sometimes it's connections or, or just right place right time but one of the things I found really interesting uh, about your career is you kind of have really coached at every level uh, through the junior ranks through the minor hockey ranks and uh, I think it'll be interesting just to see how that progression came throughout your career but first and foremost let's just learn more about you as a person uh, maybe give some background on where you're from playing sports in your early years and and just give people some more uh content on you overall yeah you know what uh i was a youngster i grew up in northern ontario you know played hockey baseball golf tennis played every sport just you know with the neighborhood kids play competitive baseball now you filter in as you get older with squash rugby and different types of sports uh you know it, it was it was something that you know growing up in northern ontario you got to play a lot of different sports and you know we 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 would always find ourselves at the, the schoolyard playing, and and hockey was a passion. My father was a pro, 
And uh, so I wanted to grow up and be like him. And I uh, dedicated myself when I went to high school to become a better hockey player. And I don't think I amassed uh, the grand totals of, you know, superstardom for hockey. But, you know, along the way, I was the, the rink rat. I was the bad boy. I was a kid that was always around adults and, you know, learning and listening and, you know, seeing things sometimes that maybe you shouldn't see with, with guys that were really competitive. And then the one thing that sticks out to me is the competitive, you know, basketball or baseball, slow pitch. You know, growing up in Northern Ontario, you see these these older guys that are working nine to five, but when they're when they're out there playing hockey or whatever it is, they're giving a hundred percent. So that was something that resonated with me as a youngster, and I don't think I carried it over in a, as a player as well. But as a coach, you know, you 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 start to coach and learn from your, your mistakes, and and you want to transfer over all the information you have to the younger generation and learn from the mistakes you've made. Quite like your parents would say, you know, I did this and made that mistake, so don't do the same thing I did. Um, so I grew up playing junior hockey uh, in northern Ontario. Then I advanced, played a little bit in the OHL. I think Joe Wise and, and all that stuff, I was good. But the mindset of, you know, not getting ice time, you know, being a guy that was just a, a fourth-line guy was hard on me at the time. And I didn't set myself up for success mentally. And then I advanced, and I, and I, and I ended up playing and having success in junior hockey and had a couple cups of coffee in the East Coast Central League. I played a year over in Europe and Germany and Holland. Um, but I knew I wanted to coach. So I got in the coaching uh, at quite a young age after, you know, coming back from Europe and playing college hockey in Canada. Uh, I got in the coaching right when I, uh, I stopped playing at around the age of 26. Yeah, and, and we'll definitely go uh, through the career. And, and there's a lot of different coaching positions and uh, one of the challenges that a lot of coaches that we've had on the podcast talk about is, uh, you know, going through these levels, you're learning so much, you're trying to pass on that information, but specifically at the AAA level, you know, there's so much going on and, and you're really influential on the on these kids. So you're trying to do it the proper way and then dealing with everything else that comes with that task. But uh, for you, that first coaching position was with the Von Kings, uh, the U18 AAA team. So Maybe just talk about that experience and, and just the entry into the coaching field uh, following your time as a player. Yeah, I was uh, working at an arena, actually, and I was helping out with Peter Zezel and a guy named Dan Blackburn from Toronto Nats. So they were like the real first team that I helped out with on ice. But um, an opening came up with Vaughn. I had to do the coaching clinic. So once I got my coaching certificate, I ended up starting to coach right away with them as an assistant coach. Um, it was U16 that year, and it was pretty rewarding. Um, it was it was kind of kind of like eye opening that how how much you love it as a coach versus you wish you would have had that same passion all the time for for the game as a player. And and so you know, my job was more of building uh, relationships with the players having players uh, bounce ideas off me. And then eventually through that year, I started, you know, about a month and a half, two months into the season with uh, Vaughn that um, they ended up removing the coach, which was unheard of for me, minor hockey. Um, so he got he got removed. They brought in another coach. I worked under him for about two weeks. And they removed him. And here I am thinking, wow, is this what minor hockey is in Toronto? I had no idea. 
And um, so the parents kind of rallied around me and said, well, why don't we let this young guy, the kids like him, why don't we give him a shot? And so I took over a, a team that was in last, and, you know, I, I learned the hard way. You learn from a lot of losses, and, but you learn how to how to teach stuff and, and, and how to go through the process. And I was fortunate because they didn't have the stress of, oh, I have to have a winning team. They were dead last, so we had nowhere to go but up. And we did well. We, we moved up, and the next year I kept the same team. Um, and I went back to, to Midget, which was U18 now. And, you know, we had we had a number of players go on to junior, and some ended up going to college. And just being with that Vaughn team for, for five years, we went from being a bottom a bottom dweller to uh, you know a top team last two years. So it was uh, it was exciting. Yeah, it sounds like a great experience, and I think anytime you're you're in a situation where maybe the the pressures of of like you said being that top team at the beginning, um, you know, isn't there. And I think especially in minor hockey where the focus really should be development, uh, you can kind of go about it the right way and and develop your players and and work on. Uh, that side of it and that's kind of where the success ultimately comes from as you've seen uh, towards the end of your tenure there and uh, the next position I, I kind of want to make my way into is uh, your time with the Vaughn Vipers of the OJHL uh, kind of working in a, a dual role as a GM and head coach uh, break down that experience and and ultimately uh, what you learned in your uh, time there at the junior level well it was, I learned a lot from minor hockey and I think some of the mistakes today's generation i would call the youth the younger coaches that are you know understanding maybe how to use video um plus coaching and the development side i was fortunate that i got involved in, in coaching right when video was becoming a little bit more pronounced so I, I i had a techie side to what i was doing which helped me a lot and then um when i got the opportunity to be a gm head coach Vaughn. It was something that when you're building teams in, say, Toronto, it's pretty easy. You know, you're basically a GM of a minor hockey team where you're trying to recruit, find players, evaluate players. Um, the recruiting never ends, so it was a it was a good learning lesson from minor hockey. And then going to junior and then working on trades and various things like that. Um, you know, that that gave me a little bit of an idea. Obviously, you have to learn how to make trades and, and, you know, what do you want to do? Are you trying to win every trade? Are you trying to make the right move for the program? You know, sometimes you lose a trade, but you win in the long run. It's, it, it, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think the big part of being a head coach and general manager in junior hockey is what is your time frame? If you're looking at it on a short window or a long window, if you've got one year or two years and you're worried about every year, well, then you never want to sell to be good two years down the road because you don't know if you're going to be there for two years down the road. So in junior A, you learn how to maybe make deals and not have to go through complete rebuilds. Um, but, you know, then there's that risk of if you're going to make trades or you're going to, you're going to select players that you have to develop for a year or two, you may not, you may not be with them long enough to really see that uh, to fruition. So I was able to find what worked for me in our program and it was, uh, it was extremely rewarding you know, coaching junior hockey and working with kids and helping them get to major junior or NCAA. And I focus predominantly NCAA. Yeah. And again, it's, it's all about uh, kind of learning the, the new positions and anytime you make a jump, especially from uh, the minor hockey level to 
the OJHL Junior A level in Ontario. You know, both uh, leagues with a lot of uh, different players coming in, a lot of highly uh, sought after players. So it's it's a learning process just on how everything navigates. And and like you said, in that uh, head coach and GM role, you're kind of balancing the short term goals, long term goals as well, and and trying to see what direction you want to go in. And uh, following your time with that organization, you actually would go back into the the AAA loop. Uh, with the Toronto Young Nats uh, in their midget program and, and had a lot of success during that time as well. So uh, maybe just talk about some of the things that you took away from junior now back into the AAA level and uh, just talk about some of those uh, runs and the success that you've seen with that program. Yeah, so I guess what ended up happening is I worked for five years with Vaughn in the minor system and then I think it was five or six, but let's say it's five and then um, I did Junior A for four years, and we had three really good teams, and we had the one that was a rebuild 500-type club. Um, and that was my my last year there. We had a really young team, but we took off. We did, we did extremely well, and we were positioned to be extremely strong. But the OJHL was trying to uh, rebrand and, and reduce teams, so they, they ended up um, shutting down Vaughn. So I didn't have a team once the season ended. I didn't realize... When the playoffs were over, you know, we had nothing official until the last two weeks of our of our playoff run. And then, you know, by that time, every every team's got their head coaches pretty much. And so what ends up happening is we fold. I don't have a job. So I end up going back to Midget with the Toronto Titans for a year. And uh, I got the team basically the week of tryouts. And it was uh, very stressful because I felt like I was on the up and up and I was just going through a divorce, so I was married and I had a full-time job for my first nine years coaching. And it was uh, it was a lot of work, and, and I'm sure I had a lot of shortcomings as a coach and a husband and various other matters that it was, it was a little tougher to do when you're working full-time because you have to dedicate so much time to the video, and um, it was tough. So I ended up going to Midget that year, and we, we had a tremendous season, finished in second place. You know, they were dead last year before, so it was kind of uh, an eye-opener to everyone. And then I, I was approached during the year. Um, a fellow guy in the OJHL was very impressed with what we did, and he was impressed with how we – they actually beat us out in the playoffs when I was in Vaughn, and he was impressed with the amount of talent we built and um, played hard with a young team. And so he decided to offer me the job with the Toronto Patriots. So I, I was with the Titans, and I went to the Patriots – and at the same time, the Titans organization, I was going to build uh, the Titan program 18U under the same roof as the Toronto uh, Patriots. So that was all set up. But then at the last minute, the Toronto Titans said, well, because you're going to junior, we, we, we want to bring our own guy because I was going to hire a guy to be the head coach. And I'm kind of program director assistant. And I'd always had a ton of respect for the Nats, the way they always treated me. They were in our rink. I called up their U18 coach and told him what was going on, and he's always bugged me about doing stuff together. And then, you know, our two minds came together, and we decided to put the Nats with the Patriots for the time I was there. And, um, you know, we ended up building a powerhouse at U18 and Junior A. Yeah, and I, I think whenever you have people in your corner who you can collaborate with and, and, and like-minded people, you can help build these programs. And I think that's... Another thing that a lot of people don't realize, that especially in the GTHL and uh, and these areas with a lot of teams and, and high density of elite players, uh, sometimes it's good to build the programs together and have a connection where you can 
uh, bounce ideas between the junior and the U18 and, and, and kind of help players on both sides. So it was interesting just to, to hear how that process kind of came about and, and then also, um, you know, hearing how the, the Toronto Patriots came into play. And uh, you, you had some success there, definitely. Uh, you know, the accolades with the AAA program uh, going to the uh, being the champions tells cup and, and obviously seeing success in Ontario. Um, you know, you, you do that as a coach and, and you have success while also being in the junior game, eventually uh, more opportunities come your way. And the next opportunity that we can kind of dive into is your time in the QMJHL with the Ruan Naranda Huskies, a, a very different situation, a, a little bit of a smaller place in the GTA. Uh, but again, another great program to be a part of. So, Walk us through the, the process of joining that organization and then your time uh, in the queue with that team. Yeah, so with the Toronto Patriots, my first year there, we blended the programs. So we had the Nats working out with our players, coming on the ice for skill stuff, almost like a mentorship with the big brothers. And, and even our, our junior A team would show up to the rink because the Nats played at the same rink. they show up and watch their games before ours, and they sit there and they'd know kids. And it... It was really rewarding to see the, the brotherhood that was building. Um, and, you know, we won the championship in both teams, and it was crazy that, you know, it was such a whirlwind. I was, we won the, in the OJHL after already winning the Ontario Midget Championship, and I flew out to Moose Jaw for the TELUS Cup, and then I had to fly back for another tournament. Then I had to fly to Vernon for the um, for the RBC Cup at the time, which is the Centennial now, and, I got an offer from uh, Andre Turney was coaching in the NHL at the time with Colorado, and, and Jill Bouchard was the head coach in Rouen Aranda. And so I got an offer that year to, to go there, and Andre kind of said, hey, if you want to bring in a coach, bring in a guy who's been a head coach to help you out because, um, you know, you don't have quite the staff in Rouen Aranda that you might have in a, in a bigger city. So you, you might want to have a guy with a little bit more experience and more his wore more hats. So I got the offer, and, and, you know, I thought about it long and hard, and I really wanted to get to Major Junior in the OHL at the time, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to pass. So I think they were a little dumbfounded that I passed, and it was kind of, for them, it was like, well, how bad do you want to be a coach? And I was like, well, I still think I can get there. So I ended up going back to the Patriots for a year and went back to the Nats, and the Patriots won again, and the Nats win the uh, TELUS Cup. So they came calling again a second time, and it was a little bit better offer, and it was also a better role, I think. So I decided to go to Rouen, um, you know, and I essentially I had a house in Toronto, and don't even get me started about the price of that house today, what it would be worth. But um, <laughs> I think I think I would have it for 400k in my pocket if I owned that now. Um, but I didn't get in the coaching to get rich, that's for sure. Uh, I would say it was it was very rewarding to get the opportunity and then when I got there and I got to see the major junior Quebec major junior league and the players we worked with, uh, it was, it was phenomenal having, uh, you know, those guys that were such specimens of training and work ethic. Uh, and I think it was the perfect fit for me and the head coach. I'm more of a gregarious type. I like to speak my mind. I'm a little bit more outgoing. And having that relationship with those guys, bringing bringing a guy with my personality was probably a little unique to that situation, and uh, and it worked. So we ended up having a successful year. We win the championship, go to the Memorial Cup, 
Um, so it was it was something that you know, three years in a row I've got five titles, and it's like wow, I'm 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 pretty uh, I'm pretty pleased uh, at that moment. Yeah, definitely, definitely pleased whenever you see success on the ice. But uh, you know, a lot of times you, know, you were talking about there just how your players were developing. You know, the program with the the Titans and, and the Patriots or the Nats and the Patriots. Sorry, and uh, you know, going to the queue is uh, a lot of people know. Uh, you know, it's a big adjustment, and and sometimes uh, it has to be the right fit. I, I think that it was a, a good point there, and and how you were kind of looking at the OHL, and uh, maybe it wasn't the right role or the right timing. And it's okay sometimes to kind of take a step back and say, you know what, I'm going to wait for uh, maybe a new opportunity or one that maybe fits your your time frame better. And ultimately, uh, after having our successful year, Ruan was uh, willing to kind of change the offer for for different reasons and. Uh, you were able to go there and, and go through that experience. And uh, ironically enough, in 2016, 2017, um, another offer would come your way, this time in the OHL as an associate coach with the Kitchener Rangers, uh, again, bringing you right back into the uh, Toronto area. So, um, you know, how did maybe the, the Kitchener experience um, differ from Rouen? And uh, just walk us through that season as well, uh, now back in the OHL. Yeah, you know, I was fortunate to have been an assistant with the Nats with Brett Punchard running the Nats program. But I had a lot of pull and I had a lot of, uh, you know, opinion-based stuff. We'd run some very various situations uh, and systems similar to what I was doing. Then I went to Rouen, and, and there was a learning curve for me and also how to work with somebody that is set in certain ways. And it, it took time, and, and I, and I got to say it was something I needed to do to learn and grow. Uh, as a coach, because if you're a good coach, you should be able to be an assistant as well. And and, and you create your own barriers. So I, I started, I really felt like I was becoming a better coach and a better assistant coach at that time. Um, and then Kitchener came calling. It was, you know, their coach went to the NHL. They had an opening. Um, I was offered the job. It was a big pay raise. The, you know, at the end of the day, um, the pay raise was enough to make me uh, – want to leave but the fact that I was going to be able to work with two NHLers um, I got the associate head coaching title but it really wasn't I, I was more of the uh, second assistant which is something that I could talk about to a lot of people where I feel that second assistant you gotta you gotta know what you're getting into for me it was a tough year because I just went from you know winning a bunch of years um, going to major junior being the lead assistant where I ran the dean I ran uh, situation than going to Kitchener where I was predominantly, you know, I thought I was going to do more so, but it wasn't a skilled base and it was more, um, I did uh, the power play and, you know, it was awesome working with Jay McKee. He's, I think that guy's a phenomenal human being and Matthew Barnaby to this day is one of the greatest guys that I had a great time. There were definitely some things with the Kitchener experience, I think, you know, I could have done differently, but I also think that it was a program that needed some culture change and needed a, a, a an opportunity to change maybe even the way that they were doing things. And it just it wasn't the greatest fit for a guy that enjoyed being a part of the game. The live bullets flying, uh, you know, you're running the D, you're involved, and then just going into running the power play was a little tougher. I created a barrier for myself, but that being said, I learned a ton from those guys and I had a great experience and I think it helped mold me 
for the next go around when I started coaching again to where I wanted to go to and how I wanted to use my staff. And um, I learned a lot from Jay McKee too, just because of how cool he was. And, you know, he's a player's coach and I, I, I think nothing but uh, the best about him. And I think he's going to be in the NHL one day. So one thing I would say for a lot of coaches that, you know, they get that opportunity to coach on a staff and now you're the, the second assistant well, it's it's on you to find out what you need to do to be successful. And with Kitchener, I learned a lot that year, but I also didn't embrace the role as good as I needed to. Um, I didn't get re-upped. Like, we had a, a GM change midway towards the end of the season. Um, at one point in time, I assumed I'd probably be the next head coach at Kitchener. It didn't look like that was going to be in the, card, in the cards. And then, you know, Kitchener hired a new GM. And then at the end of the year, when we're evaluating – building a staff, that GM had a, a clear-cut vision of what he wanted. And truthfully, you know, I, it hurt. I was crushed. I was demoralized. I went through a very sad time in my life where I, I had all, all the success and all of a sudden I'm no longer, you know, as, as sweet as I think I am. And he didn't want to re-up me, and he just didn't think my, the way I am. Um, he wanted to build a different staff, and he wanted things differently now that he was in charge. And that's uh, that's the job of a GM, and, and I think Mike McKenzie's the guy that took over. And, yeah, I was mad at Mike for a while, but I can tell you, retrospectively, I respect him, and, and, I, and I understand what he wanted. He wanted more of a silent partner as, as that second assistant, somebody that's maybe just going to go with the flow and coach and just teach. And, and you know, a, a guy who's opinionated that's had a lot of experiences Maybe it's not so much about voicing them. It's maybe more about just offering advice when asked, and that's something that I had to learn a little bit. So uh, as, as tough as it was for me as a as a coach, it's definitely helped me moving forward. Yeah, and, and talking about just moving forward, your next position, uh, still staying in the junior ranks, but kind of taking a different approach this time through the BCHL with the Coquitlam Express. So um, now having the kind of lessons that you learned in Kitchener and that different mindset, maybe talk about how you applied it in your new position and just talk about your time in the Express organization. Yeah, well, you know what? When Kitchener uh, didn't renew my contract, it was uh, it was tough. And I actually went back to the Nats that year, and I, and I spent half the year at the Nats. And uh, then I got an offer at the end of November to go out to BC, and it was tough because our Nats team was the best in Ontario. They ended up they ended up going back to the Telus Cup, and I and I had a a real big hand in that. And I was like, well, what's the best option for me as a career coach? And truthfully, it, it, when it, when I put it all together, I love coaching junior hockey, so I decided to go try something new, and I went out to BC and. You know, I was the GM head coach, uh, you know, your assistant GM for this little while, so you, until you prove yourself. But I, I knew the owners. The owners asked me to come in and change a, a lot of stuff. I showed up, and there was a lot that needed to be changed. They had a winning team a couple years prior. But uh, when you're in Coquitlam, you're the closest suburb to Vancouver. And I got there at a point where the players on our back, the best players weren't staying. And the recruiting we were doing, there needed to be some changes. So going there, taking over the last place team that was amidst, I think, a 14-game losing streak, everyone was down. And I got to go in there and put in some different things. We had some mediocre success to finish the year. And then the next year, 
had a real good year. Had a lot of Division One players, 12 or 13 Division One commits on the roster. Um, we we're above 500. We had a we had a, a short playoff run against the eventual winners who never lost the play game except to us during the playoffs. And um, there was a lot of great things and, and things to build on. But what probably a lot of guys don't understand is the hats you wear in junior hockey and here too for for the hats that you're wearing. You're not just a GM head coach. You're also working with billets. You're you're dealing with the bill coordinator. You're on the business side. Uh, you're doing much, much more, and you don't have a big staff. So my first year and a half, I, I wore too many hats, but I do feel that uh, it was it was all worth it when it came down to the end for our last year that I was there. It was 2019-20, and um, you know, we just had a phenomenal team. We finished first overall and swept our first-round playoff opponent, and then COVID hit. Yeah, and, and I think that's a tough situation that – uh, definitely a lot of people ran into recently and, and around that season and a lot of people felt like they had maybe the team to, to kind of go all the way but uh, for better for worse that's that's what happens and uh, and just kind of building on that again I, I think being open to to different situations has has done well for you uh, and that mindset has given you the opportunity to have success and and with Coquitlam and any junior program uh, especially the junior A level as you mentioned uh, just the variety of hats that you have to wear and the openness to to try different things is, is so key. And a lot of people might go into a, a position thinking, okay, I'm a coach. I'm going to be coaching on the ice. That's my job. Uh, the reality of junior hockey is sometimes you're going to have to be involved in, um, you know, like you said, the, the billet coordinating and working with the, the families or uh, being involved on the business side or, or helping out with community events. And and sometimes it's, it's pretty um, entry-level, work that you need to do but uh, i think to be successful in any junior hockey role uh, you have to be open to ultimately getting your hands dirty and doing whatever is necessary to help the team succeed both on and off the ice yeah i agree i think it's a it's a requirement that the more you know about the business the better it is and you understand the the challenges of each position but also I would say the humility to, to treat all the staff as, you know, they're part of uh, the program. Like when we were in Coquitlam after games, I would have 10 guys down in our office. Um, you know, we'd have people that were volunteering their time, whether it was for our video stuff. You know, I, I hired two different people basically and paid them out of my own pocket just to come in and do video. And I didn't pay them a lot of money, but I gave them a, an honorarium of a thank you for doing this. It, it takes hours out of my week that I, I get back into doing something else I enjoy. Um, so it was awesome dealing with um, those challenges and then finding a solution. It's rewarding. You find a solution and then you open a door to somebody that's extremely excited about that door. Uh, it rejuvenates you as well as a coach. Yeah, that's another great point there. And a lot of times, uh, there's students and people looking to get into the game who can really be beneficial in a situation like that. I think video is a, a great example of, of one task that sometimes can uh, pile on definitely a lot of extra hours if, if uh, you know, maybe the coach is struggling or, or just in the midst of a, of a busy season with a, with a team that uh, hasn't a lot of opportunity to learn. And um, continuing on the topic of learning, you know, you've, you've gone through all these positions to date in Canada and and seeing success and, and taking things from each position. And uh, soon enough, the, the opportunity comes for you to now maybe uh, see how things work on the state side. 
uh, in the NAHL with Odessa. So uh, talk about the the process of of going into that junior league, Uh, kind of a different situation than the BCHL, but a lot of similarities as well. And and then ultimately um, how that entire experience went for you. Yeah, last year was extremely challenging. Um, you know, there wasn't quite as big as a reward uh, because COVID was was amongst us and there was so much stress every day. Are, are we going to play? Are we going to have guys being sick? And then to top it off, going into a, to a complete rebuild where the ownership group wasn't in town. Um, we had other factors that were external that we had to deal with and it was managing stress every day trying to figure out where to where, where are we going to find players from, scouting, um, you know, are we playing this week? And then you're looking at, okay, well, we're losing on the ice. Uh, I, I definitely think I learned a lot last year because of how I let the stress get to me. And, and, and you know, ego gets to you too because you feel like if you're such a, a, a good coach, well, why are you losing? And, and you start to complicate things, whereas I probably should have made it more simple I was always under the impression that I was going to stick with the same principles I did in Coquitlam where we teach our foundation of how we want to play, even when we don't have the team that we should play that way with, so that the next year those remaining are going to be able to adapt quicker and it's a quicker transition. Whereas if I would have just said, hey, we don't have the guys to play this style, well, we're going to change, play an easier system. Um, but what what was different was teaching American players that were – you know, not brought up the same way as a Canadian kid would be to think the game hockey. So there were some challenges there. It was exciting that you're, you know, you're, you're reteaching things that, you know, I, I didn't, I took for granted with Coquitlam at times because the last two years we had, a, we had a pretty good ball club that we didn't have to say a whole lot about certain issues. But, um, you know, it was tough. It was, a, it was a very tough experience, but it was rewarding in a way that towards the end of the year as we started out of the COVID bubble and, it started to become a little bit more normal, I guess, if you want to use that word. Um, the relationship side started getting better. We started understanding our players. You know, last year we had 37 one-goal games. I've never been a part of a team that had that many one-goal games. And we, we were the losers of most of them. And coaching was part of that. But I could tell you, um, a lot of games we probably could have won that we just didn't get a bounce. And a lot of that was just due to our mindset. And, and hopefully we've, we've helped transition that. And I believe our players at the end of the year were much better hockey players because of it. Yeah, and again, I think uh, going through through close games and, and, you know, having to fight for every point and, and every moment I think is so key and it's definitely elevated in, in the year uh, that a lot of teams went through last season while getting some games and still having that, that COVID situation kind of looming over you at all times and, and bubble situations and, and these different opportunities that, that kind of came as a result. And uh, that opportunity for you seemed like it was, uh, you know, it was unique, very unique, the year, the situation is everything we touched on there, but um, you know, just also giving you a, a new league, a different perspective, uh, working with players who, as you hinted at, came through that American system, which as anyone can appreciate when you go to different countries, everybody has their own way of, of teaching the game at the grassroots level and kind of building it up and, in the U.S., it's uh, it alters a little bit from Canada. Definitely, North American style of hockey can be very similar. But when you get into the the daily uh, breakdown of the game and everything that is involved in the coaching aspect, it's it's definitely very different. 
I quickly want to let you know that support for this week's episode is brought to you by DraftKings. Week 1 may be over, but the season's just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week 2, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 on any football game, so listen up because you don't want to miss this. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply, and see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now back to the interview with Jason Fortier, assistant coach with the University of Maine. And just kind of even building on that, one of the things that I always find interesting is when you work with junior teams in the U.S., you know, the NHL being, you know, a, a perfect example, really, when you think about it, um, a lot of these players are, are dealing with, you know, progressing on the ice. But one of the things that comes into play at that age group is the the route to college and the college commitments and kind of building towards that next step. And your next step, ironically, would actually now be in the NCAA as well at the University of Maine. So I guess a two-part question would be, uh, to break down how you kind of moved into the University of Maine and also uh, how much of that dealing with college commitments and, and things like that has helped kind of prepare you for this new opportunity. Yeah, I, I would say the college game, um, I'm blessed, obviously, to have been, been awarded the opportunity. And the college game is recruiting and then coaching. So as an assistant coach, I'm I'm a lead recruiter. And so by being able to prove that I could – recruit and recognize talent has probably been something that, you know, might have uh, allotted me a little bit of a bump in the uh, selection process. And then having a relationship with uh, the new head coach, and, and he's mentioned it before that it was, you know, when I was coaching junior hockey and, I, and I'm promoting players, I wasn't lying. I built it on integrity and trust. And I was honest and forthright when it came to players and, and what I believed their abilities were and whether they would be successful at college and what was the best area for them to go play in versus, you know, there's different conferences. So I, I always I always had a relationship with the coach. So we would talk, and a lot of the college guys would call me about players in our league because, you know, as you know, when you're coaching hockey, uh, you get to see a lot of players that you compete against. And then by doing pre-scouts, you can really identify certain characteristics or habits and things within a player because you're looking for those things. And when certain players keep popping up in front of your pre-scout, you know, I would be the type of guy to call a school and be like, you might want to look at this kid. I'm doing a pre-scout and he looks really good. So I, I would just try and do that to help the players in our league. It was more of a, a way that I could be somebody that helped our league get recognized, but also help those schools find players, um, you know, maybe if they weren't there. So that was something that I think helped me out down the road and getting this chance right now, coaching college, you know, there's long days everywhere. It doesn't matter whether, whether you're coaching college or junior or minor hockey, you, you put in the hours you want to put in and I, and I'm a rink rat. I love it at the rink. I love, you know, doing, uh, doing hockey stuff and watching hockey TV and, 
You know, it's just, it's a great way. And I almost feel like if I'm not watching it, somebody else might be. So I spend a lot of hours watching uh, different players. And now with Instat, it makes the job a little bit easier. Um, but it's so rewarding when you, when you recognize talent. And then down the road, that talent takes off. And they do really well. You're not maybe direct, uh, respond, directly responsible, but it also gives you that self-recognition to yourself that, hey, you know what? I spotted that. I'm, I'm okay. That's what I'm looking for. So you start to build a pattern of what you're looking for, what your intangibles amongst the players, how they how they look, how they play. You know what your non-negotiables and your negotiables might become when you're evaluating. You know, and everyone has a different eye, but there's some commonalities amongst each eye. Yeah, and and again, I, I think that uh, you know your experience is offering a lot of different viewpoints for listeners. Just because, like you said, in college, uh, a lot of recruiting and these things are involved in the coaching staff, and uh, you've kind of taken on that role with the University of Maine, and uh, again, built on uh, kind of your reputation for both evaluating talent, but also uh, the honesty, the integrity in the process, and. I think a lot of times uh, people are, are kind of wary maybe of that process. Anytime you see kids going commitments and, and moving and all these different things, when you have a team and you have someone that's, uh, you know, shown in the past that you're willing to put the player first and, and, and look for the right situation and uh, ultimately have success at the end of the day on both sides of the equation. I think that's key. And uh, the university of Maine, a great program and, and a lot of people recognize the, the program and have watched before and, uh, you now find yourself in that situation, but it, it's kind of been a, a a full or a long road, I guess, in, in kind of getting there, just, uh, you know, taking your time throughout your career and, and kind of having a taste at each level. And the, the AAA level seems like it had a really uh, big effect on your career. And it seems like that's the case with a lot of the coaches that uh, come on the podcast and, and ultimately have that experience. So I guess the question for you here is, uh, for people who may be listening and looking to get into the field, how beneficial or how important do you feel that AAA experience is before kind of making your way into junior and beyond? Well, that's a long question because I'm I'm a little bit different when it comes to hockey. I, I'm a big believer of if you are doing something for to get something out of hockey, you're going to be disappointed. If you're expecting the, to go down somewhere or do this, for the for the reward of X, you're probably going to be disappointed. It's got to be a little bit more internally motivated to learn and build. And if we're talking about you know going to minor hockey, is winning everything? Okay, well then that's the million dollar question. If I don't win, how am I going to get noticed? Sure, I understand that. And then then maybe I'm not the right guy to ask, but I feel like development is development. And if you're developing right, you will have better teams. It doesn't mean you've got to win the title every year to be, to be successful. If, if you're always looking at whoever raises the trophy did the best job, you know, you're, you're probably going to be let down 90% of the time because you, you can't win every year. Now, the good programs, you go to those programs, say you're in Toronto and you're at the Toronto Marlies. Chances are back in the day you were going to win or be one of the top two on most age groups, maybe not U18, but on most age groups. And it was like, okay, well, why does the Marlies not have a good U18 team most years? Well, if you look at the big picture, well, for, the, for their entire minor hockey career, kids tried out for the Marlies and been cut. Now that the year that they get rid of all their top U16 players, they open the doors and say, we welcome you, 
Well, a lot of players have a bad taste in their mouth, and they're like, well, I don't want to go play there now. That's not the Marlies anymore. All their guys are gone. So it's more, I had to learn it's more based on age demographics. So if you're saying the 94 age group, the 98 age group, the 90s, all the parents know who the best players are. They all go in the same tournaments. So if you really want to be a hockey guy, get to know the age groups. Get to, get to see the players. Uh, I created my own company in the summertime. I started doing stuff with players, and I started getting players from other programs just to train with them. And, and it, it opened up my eyes to see what other guys were doing and what flaws they had of their habits versus their skill. Because some kids had tremendous skill and very poor habits. So you start to make an impact. And, all right, well, I can't really do much more on your skill. You're already good, but we can help your habits. We can put more attention in the detail. And for guys go to minor hockey, development's got to be the mindset. And if you're there long enough, you should have a good program. Because if you're doing your job, People will come, and they always do. It just takes time. Like you, I always say to people, don't judge a coach on year one. Yeah, a guy might not do well year one. Year two, okay, should be pretty good. But by year three, year four, year five, that's when everything should be humming. It shouldn't take four, five, six, seven years um, before you get the recognition or the trust from people to allow their kids to be coached by you. Um, and most young guys that I find the coach now, Everyone wants to get up so fast. Everyone wants to, I want to be in the NHL. I want to, I want to be in the OHL or I want to do this. Well, at the end of it, you get into coaching not for yourself. It's a, you still want to move up. You still want to have success. It's got to be the right timing. It's got to be a lot of things falling into place. And if you just do your job and develop it, that's going to be rewarding. It may not pay the bills. You, you, you know, I've been coaching for a long time. I've had owners in junior hockey programs, not pay me. I probably have $80,000 where I've been ripped off by owners in junior hockey because the season ends, and what do you do? Go to small claims court? So it's not a, it's not a business that you're just going to get rich or always get the greatest things, but if you if you love it, uh, you know, I'll say it on here, I would have did it for free. That's the truth. I, I, I enjoyed it, and I, I got paid, you know, I think $6,000 for my first three years coaching as an honorarium, and I thought, hey, I remember calling my dad. This is unreal. They paid me money to go do what I love, and I get to go shoot on goalies and go talk to kids. Uh, I'm forty. I'm almost forty-seven now, and you know, at times I feel like I'm still twenty-five because I'm around these young players that they have such energy, and and they force you to have that energy. But you know, you're also in an environment that is so, you know, demanding on your time, demanding on your energy and your stress, but also rewarding in your relationships and what you're doing with players. And that's what I get a kick out of it is, you know, I'm not looking to be their best friend. He's the only guy in their ear. I want to be somebody that can make a difference, but be there when the chips are down. I need somebody to talk to. Um, so I think minor hockey is an essential part of development. And I'm not saying you have to go through it, but it is very essential in your development of trying new things, not just doing whatever you see on TV. You know, you watch the NHL, there's guys running systems. Well, if you just copycat everything, you know, something you've got to have a thought of your own. And, you know, you might steal ideas from the NHL or you might steal ideas from your local peewee team, your local junior A team, whatever it is. And, and, and it's more about the habits and details you teach within a system than the system itself, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's another great point that you're bringing to the podcast here. And um, just quickly, I guess, building off of that, uh, you, you you have this mindset and, and the reasons for 
uh, for coaching, whether it be at the AAA level or junior level. And, and you've hinted at it there and, and throughout the podcast through your different answers. And I, I guess one of the things that a lot of people talk about is, is having people around you that kind of either had that same mindset or are willing to challenge you a, a little bit at times. So I guess what are just your overall opinions on, on building a staff and uh, do you prefer to have everybody with the, that common goal or is it sometimes good to uh, maybe have someone that, that challenges you and, and maybe pushes you uh, in a different direction just to kind of see what works at the end of the day? Well, first off, I'm divorced, so I love to argue. I have nobody to argue with anymore, so I have no problem with our staff with confrontation. Is it confrontation on ego or is it confrontation for development? There's two different ones, and... As long as it's for development, and trust me, everyone's got an ego, and we all argue over our ego at times. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's one or the other. So when I build a staff, part of, part of being a coach is I talk about the ability to influence hum, human behavior. Um, as a coach, my job is to influence that, that thinking, that mindset, and their behavior that it's not even just players, it's staff. And I'm not the best at it. I, you know what? I'm fat and out of shape. That's as simple as it goes. And people always say, well, you know what, if you took it serious or you had the luck, you would get further up in hockey. Well, I always go in interviews and people ask me, what do you want to do? And uh, if somebody said to me, do you want to coach the NHL, I'd say 100%, I'd love to. But it's not my goal. It's not my be-all and end-all. I want to have relationships. I want to do this and do the best I can with wherever I'm at. And my long-term goal was to eventually become an NHL scout. If I'm not a coach... I can be a scout, and I would be very happy Would I miss things for sure. So when I build my staff, I look for passionate people that are willing to work, that don't understand that no is part of our vocabulary. You know, when I say no, that means, well, how can we? I like guys that fight me on things. I like guys like when I'm, when I'm going and I get going and I think I got an idea, I want some, pe- I want some pushback. I want some feedback of... You know, I always, I always talk to people. It's a lot easier to tell a guy to stop talking so much than it is to get him to talk more. And, you know, with our staff that I've built over the years that I've had, the best ones are the guys that I didn't have to always worry about. I didn't have to, oh, who would you say to him today? Oh, do you talk to that guy? Why would you talk to him? Like, just let them do their job. They, they're, in the same, they're in it for the same reason. Um, and I've had a lot of great assistants, and I've, had a, I've worked with a lot of great, great head coaches. Um, I, I really think the staff is, is, if you really want to break it down the nuts and bolts, is, you know, you've got to find people that are willing to put the program first, people that are willing to work, um, and work ethic is different for everyone. I, I used to, I, I, I'm going to tell you, about two weeks ago I changed my mindset of work ethic, but I was the guy that came to the rink at 8 o'clock and I left at 8 p.m. a lot of times. I don't have social life. I, I just, for me, I feel like if I'm not doing something hockey-related, somebody's getting an edge on me. And I, and, I, and I don't know why I do that, whether it's just something that I choose to do, but I'm going to work on that to try and, you know, get a social life. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to start having relationships outside of hockey again and start doing things. But it's more having people around you that you... You know, some guys can staff that they enjoy spending time with. It's an, it's an easy relationship. They're fun. You know, you guys have, for me, I want people that want to come to the rink and have a relationship, have honest conversations. I don't like anything phony. I am so real that I do not like phony. If you don't like me, I can work with you. 
tell me what you don't like, and I'll try and change what I can. And if, you know, if I, if I don't have something about you, I'm going to tell you. And I've always been a straight-up guy that way. It's just, hey, I can respect a guy that I don't like everything about. I have some of my best buddies. You know, you grow up with them. You don't love everything about them, but they're still your best buddies. You, there's stuff that, you know, all your real friends in life have flaws. All the people you care the most about, a lot of them have flaws. They're not perfect. So why do we always look for people that are perfect? It bugs me how, oh, you know, this person does that. Well, yeah, but it could be the person that when your car's broke, broke down 2 a.m. and you need, you know, gas money or you need something, that person that may give you a difficult time might be the guy that comes to get you too, though. So you got to look beyond the easy topics and really start getting into the, for me, the work ethic side of things. No, that's a, a great way to look at it. And I think at the end of the day, uh, if everybody has the the same mindset and is not challenging each other, you, you kind of get caught in a groupthink situation. But having people who are, uh, you know, honest, but also, um, you know, easy to work with and hardworking and all these different things, uh, it really plays into the, the ultimate success of a team. And and looking at your yeah. career and some of the things that you've talked about here today, uh, you know, you've had success at different levels and a lot of great moments, a lot of big games. So um, a fun question that we sometimes ask the guests on the podcast, is there any one moment um, in your career to date that you can kind of think back to that was kind of like a, a you made it moment or, or just a memorable one for a variety of reasons? Well, I don't think there's a moment that I made because I haven't. I'm, I'm obviously having success doing what I'm doing, but I've never made it uh, to the NHL. But it was pretty cool being a major junior. You know, you're on the big jumbotron. I got to coach in Susan Marie, got to go to the Memorial Cup. Those were all great. And then even before that, you don't know what you don't know at the end of the day. So I didn't know any better. So when I won in, in midget, it was unreal. I made it. Then I won in junior A, and I was like, unreal, I made it. It's like, what is made it? At the end of the day, there's, you know, I, I don't believe in there's just like that one goal set mindset. This isn't, uh, I'm not reading books a lot on self-help saying, you know, what's the point where you feel like you made it or, or is being comfortable uh, bad or a good thing. Uh, I, I think you've got to be comfortable with yourself first. Until you can look the guy in the mirror, you're never going to love what you're doing. So it's a big part for, you know, enjoying what you're doing. Because you win in midget, you win in peewee. Yeah, maybe it's not the same way to get there, but it, it sure is satisfying. Um, it's a big, it, it's it's a big thing giving back, and even if you don't win, you know, like some years you got a bad team, but all of a sudden you got a group of people that love what you did. Well, not many guys can do that because they only want to be on a winning team, or, or maybe some guys can only work with low end performance teams because their mindset is a low end performance, but they're unreal for building, you know, self confidence. Like they're just, we're always quick to. De- dismiss people because of results and records and, and again i i'm the first guy to say I, I don't love a lot of coaches if they're if they're consistently just satisfied with poor performance but again there we got to find that that navigate that that stream where there's players can can fail more often and it's not junior hockey it's not our area of junior hockey it's in the lower areas but everyone's so quick to try and win you know, that that bugs me. But uh, as far as finding a moment that I made it, you know, truthfully, I don't know. But I had an aha moment one time when I was coaching junior A. I heard Mark Edwards, who runs Hockey Prospect, they do a great job. And he um, he was my assistant. And I coached against him, and I really respected him. He had never played hockey, like, too far. I think he played, like, 
minor hockey and maybe in junior kind of got pushed out for whatever reason. And then uh, we were coaching and this was in, you know, I think it was in the player selection time and we were talking on the phone and I was, you know, telling them my opinion and I, I suffocate a lot of oxygen in conversations that you can tell. And, and we were talking and he was mentioning something. Then I was like, he's trying to talk about the psyche of, of the player and this and that. And I said, you know, no offense, Mark, but you never played at a really high level. So like, I, I don't think you understand. Like, I, I don't buy that. And then, you know, and this was a guy that I didn't know overly well, but we were friends and we'd go out and have you know, dinner. We'd have a couple beers, talk hockey and very amicable, um, relationship. And he was a guy I coached against that I respected because he always seemed to have some good detail and he recognized talent. So, um, he sent me an email about 10 minutes after our conversation saying we're friends. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to coach with you this year. I just think for our relationship, it's probably better. I got a lot of stuff going on. And I think he had a young daughter, maybe like a year or two old. And he's like, I, 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 I just can't do this uh, because of the time constraints and, and all this stuff. So I literally called him. And I was like, kind of like poking at, you know, what the real issue was. And the aha moment for me was when he said, I respect you a lot, but if every time I challenge you or we fight over something that you have the trump card of, because I never played pro or I never played high-level hockey, I'll never win an argument. So we'll never get to our potential as a staff. And now it was unreal for me to go through that. I'm thankful every day that he did that to me and said that because he didn't want to say that. But, I, you know, by, by going with confrontation and having that conversation, which today nobody wants to talk, um, we had that conversation, and he said it. I took it in, and I agreed, and I, I'm an idiot, and I apologized. said, we got to work through this. And we had an unbelievable year together. He's a good coach, taught me a lot. Um, he claims he taught me a lot about power play, which I still argue with him. But, um, like, it was a, it was such a, a defining moment for me. And I, and I think I've always been, been a guy that when I was a head coach, my staff would say I was probably tough at times, but, you know, I, I was easy to work for when we were when we were doing all the things and we were well prepared. And I think I owe him a little bit of that. Yeah. Anytime you you have those honest conversations, I think it's it's going to you know result in the betterment of a staff or betterment of a team. And sometimes, as you could see there, it is a tough conversation. And sometimes it's a little bit of an argument or a confrontation or or going against the the norms of, of whatever the situation may be, but again, at the end of the day, it can kind of uh, lead you in the right direction and, and really uh, go into some untapped potentials. So I think that's a, a great answer. And, uh, you know, you learn those lessons from conversations. And a lot of times it could be with uh, people who are part of your staff, but it could be uh, people who have more experience in the game or people who've kind of gone through situations like that before you. And uh, those people who oftentimes are referred to as mentors tend to have a, a, a big impact in a lot of people's lives. So I guess the question here is, um, you know, essentially throughout your career, who are some of the key mentors who maybe helped you along the way? And just collectively through your conversations, what are some of the major lessons that they taught you? For me, the mentors that I, that I had were, were many. I don't believe it's been a long-term mentorship with anyone in, you know, Directly, I learned a lot of values and ethics from my family, my parents, and you know people that know my father. My father's got a reputation of being a good athlete, and and, and it's something that you know he's made mistakes even, and he's a he's a 
hot-blooded French guy that you know probably loses it too much when he was young. He probably flew off the handle a bit too much, but he was always one to, to admit when he was wrong and um, was very passionate to helping people. So I, I think that was something that helped me. And then the greatest mentor I had as a former coach was a guy named Johnny Fuseli in Sault Ste. Marie, midget AAA. Um, did a lot for me. Was a very stern guy at times, but he was fun. Like he was he was the type of guy that would make fun of you a lot. And, and it wasn't always that common for coaches that were older to make fun of us on our level and treat us like human beings. And they were part of the gang. And I really liked how he did that. And I've carried that forward. You know, you ask any player that you know, played for me, I probably chirped them as much as anyone. And I just, I loved it. I thought he was, he was on, on our level. And he was still stoic in moments where he was still tough on us. And he taught us a lot. And he was the guy that when my career as a, as a junior hockey player began, he was a big reason for that. He made a call. He, um, you know, he talked to a guy that took his word through through the years. He's built that trust and respect, and and that coach took me solely on his words. Yeah, I still had to go try out, but I, I'm sure his words carried a, a pretty big uh, a pretty big um, luggage when I showed up. Yeah, definitely. I I think just from you know from that answer and everything that we've heard today, there's there's a lot of people that. Uh, you know, I've have mentored you or taught you different lessons, and I think in the game of hockey, anytime you go through um, a, a career or, or in the game, as long as you have been, you're going to meet a lot of great people and establish a lot of great relationships. And as you said earlier, those relationships and those connections and um, helping people along the way in their different stages of their careers and their lives uh, is the reason for getting into this game. The relationship side of hockey is, is key, and you know. Being, being with the University of Maine, um, we have a new young head coach. Ben Barr has put together win teams in numerous different uh, programs. And his last one, he was with UMass for five years. And I've had former players play for him. Uh, working with him in the last little while has been very, very surprising to know how much I didn't know. I knew a lot, I thought. But even in the simplistic side of the game, I love how much attention the detail he's put in. And I would say I'm more complex as a coach, and he's more simplistic. But yet he's added some complexity to being simple, um, where I've learned that already. And, and just having a guy, he accepts me for you know, who I am. If I want to say something to him, that's that relationship side where he's got a growth mindset that he wants to hear me out. He might not want to do what I'm saying, but he'll <laughs> he'll hear me out and he'll kind of make fun of me and be like, hey, we'll do that another day, but let's just walk before we run. You know, sometimes as an assistant, you get a little bit excited. You want to keep, keep putting in another step. But he's been, uh, he's been great. And having, having, you know, a guy like that running the University of Maine, I truly believe that Ben's going to be an NHL coach one day if he chooses to be. He's got a great demeanor with the players. And, I, and I'm very thankful that I get to see this side of the game not just the major junior side, but the university NCAA athletic side, where you know it's a different it's a different uh, system. There's different time constraints. There's a lot of uh, different age demographics, four year olds. So you know I, I'm learning a lot, and I feel like I'm growing every day, which is awesome. 
yeah, and anytime you can continue to grow and and take on new challenges, I think it's uh, it's exciting and definitely uh, at the end of the day is is the reason that we we're involved in this game and and hopefully it continues uh, as you move forward in your career. And uh, with that, Jason, again, I just want to thank you for taking some time today to join me on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot as a result, and I'm sure listeners will say the same. So thank you again, and I wish you all the best here uh, with Maine and, and moving forward. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, it was an honor. All right. Thank you very much again, and take care. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to again thank Jason for coming on the podcast and diving into the area of coaching and providing some key behind-the-scenes details into life as a coach and the differences in different coaching roles, which I think really adds a lot to the podcast and offers excellent insight for our listeners. If you would like to get in touch with Jason to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Tune into our social media pages in the upcoming days as we release a flurry of new guests, which will bring a lot of excitement for the upcoming podcast episodes. Once again, thank you everyone for supporting the podcast, and be sure to like, share, and subscribe on all the platforms that you listen to, and share with friends as we look to have more people understand what's going on in hockey operations at all levels of the game. As always, stay safe, and all the best. (laughs) 